Welcome to the A-Game Podcast with Nick LaMagna, digging into the minds and experiences of some of today's brightest entrepreneurs in real estate and business, along with Hollywood stars, UFC fighters, and your favorite rock bands, people that have figured out how to overcome obstacles, take chances, live boldly, and no matter what they do, they always bring their A-Game. guest on the A-Game Podcast is Stephen Morris. You might also see him on Facebook, finding him as Stephen Todd Morris of Red Door Renovations, LLC. You can find his website for his company at reddoorrenosllc.com, and you can find him on Instagram at smorris802, at S-M-O-R-R-I-S-802. Stephen Morris, or Stephen Todd Morris, is a friend of mine. I've been doing some masterminds with him, uh, some networking events with him. He's a killer in the Ohio area. He's doing some stuff in Cleveland. He's big on the multi-unit circuit, and he's also got a niche going on with Airbnb, which I found very interesting because I have not done a lot with that. So it was really awesome to pick his brain and see how, I believe he actually had a job when I first met him, and now he's doing real estate full-time. He's a Acquired hundreds of units. He's got a bunch of rentals and he's just living hard, playing hard. If you follow him on Facebook, you'll see that he's always traveling around. He does a mastermind. He does mixers. He does get togethers. He does networking events and he's got a, a pretty good system in place that deals come to him. People come to him. He wholesales. He's got JV stuff going on and he's just taking it to a whole nother level. So really fun guy, really smart investor. I really enjoy talking to him. Definitely follow him on social media. Definitely check out his company and reach out to him, especially if you're in the Cleveland or the greater Ohio area, to go to some of his networking events, go to some of his masterminds, or find him to see how he can help you, or you can help him partner on some multi-unit deals, or possibly even some residential stuff. So, Stephen Morris, Stephen Todd Morris, much appreciated, my friend. Look forward to seeing you again, and hopefully doing some jujitsu and getting some food when I'm back in Cleveland. Take care, and I hope you guys enjoy the podcast. My guest today in the A-Game podcast is Stephen Morris. Uh, a lot of you might see him already as a pretty active real estate investor on social media, especially on Facebook. Uh, we're part of a mastermind together. We met probably about a, maybe a year and a half ago now at Tim Bratz's first event. Yeah, you're active on the multifamily stuff. We've seen each other at some Mark Evans stuff. So um, he's just been moving and shaking. So I wanted to get him on. And uh, I, I love some of the things we started talking about when we were going on about you know, how we learn from other people's mistakes and some of the wins and losses because everybody on Facebook wants to just show the highlights of all the things that are going right. But some of the things that are important is also what to learn not to do. So we'll dig into some multifamily stuff, some Airbnb stuff, some life lessons, business lessons and stuff like that. But uh, give them a a brief description of yourself of uh, what do you do and and how can people contact you as well? Yeah. So honest to God, it's, uh, it's kind of funny. I don't do any phone calls unless it's like super urgent. Um, and usually that requires two or three phone calls. So if you guys want to text, that's cool. Um, if you have deals, you can just, best way to get my phone number is uh, just go on Facebook. We'll interact on some Facebook messages. If you guys want to do deals or bounce ideas off each other, Facebook messenger is cool. Instagram messenger is cool. And then if you obviously have something that requires a little more, uh, you know, due diligence or, or, you know, me and you working together, then we'll, we'll exchange some numbers and text back and forth. That's the best way for me. Awesome. And I'll take whatever contact stuff you want or Facebook links and I'll put them in the show notes so people can reach out to you once this is aired. But yeah, tell them a little bit about your background and your experience of what you've been doing. Yeah, we were just talking right before uh, we got started, obviously, um, talking about maybe where this podcast would go and whatnot and talking about some of the losses and wins, you know, discussion pattern we might have. I think that's uh, obviously a cool 
you know, discussion because we, you know, me, I'll say we, when I say we, I'm kind of referring to Red Door and, and Bulletproof, some of the companies, but, you know, we, and not only them, but myself before them have done a little bit of everything. Like a lot of people in this industry, you know, we started with the real estate license and just helping people find investment properties and helping them lease their investment properties. And uh, as so many people say, you know, either on podcasts or uh, at, at mastermind events, you, you tend to just, if you're, you know, driven or you want to continue to scale, you just kind of end up going where the money goes, not in a selfish way, but you got to keep the lights on, got to hire people. So when we were going down that road of, you know, being an agent and leasing for other people and wholesaling, there's a lot of money in that, but you also realize that there's people involved that might be making more than you uh, off a lot of your efforts, which is fine. And it was kind of a stepping stone going from an agent to a wholesaler to, um, you know, doing a lot of high-end uh, HGTV flips and then <laughs> jumping on board with the uh, multifamily and now focused a lot on Airbnb. I think a lot of people are kind of locked into our Airbnb model. So did the whole gamut. Sometimes things make sense in certain uh, markets or situations and then you just keep moving, you know? Awesome, man. So let, let's talk through that, that process a little bit. So you started out on the real estate agent side. And, and I feel like that that's a, I think when people first think about real estate, they go, oh, okay, well, I'm interested in real estate. I'll go get my real estate license. And then slowly they start to see that it's not everything you see on TV. And it's a lot of hours and a lot of running around, like to get those clients who buy the stuff, you know, very cutthroat, a lot of time in there. And then you start to go, okay, well, I want to be on the investor side. And, you know, most people don't just jump into multi-units. They start you know, filling things out and then starting to get their feet wet. So how did you transition from the, the realtor side into the investment side initially, or did you get into the, the license of it with the thought of investments or were you taking on clients for rentals and sales and stuff? Yeah. I mean, I think there was a bit of that, you know, when I came out of grad school, uh, I don't, it was like 23, 24. So I'm not sure I had like any long-term vision, but I did know that I didn't want to realistically make money for other people before myself as well. Probably more important to me. And if you guys follow me on social media or whatever, it's lifestyle stuff. So exactly what you said, the hours of real estate, not only the hours, because a lot of those dominant real estate agents are 70, 80 hour, you know, a week guys and girls. It more importantly to me, I don't mind the long hours. I don't love them, but it was more the buyer, the seller dictated what hours those were going to be. You know, they had their nine to five and they want you over from whatever seven to 10. It got um, almost impossible to live. And I wasn't even doing a ton of deals on, in that sector. I was doing some of that and some of the wholesaling. And then I just thought, okay, there's more money over here. There's more money in the investing. I'm not sure it was a long-term plan. I did always know I wanted to be a business owner. And although Sometimes the real estate agency and brokerage gets pitched as a business, which it is. It tends to be, like you said, high hours and a lot of, um, try to put this lightly, kind of like, <laughs> yeah, so let's, let's call it, uh, you know, therapy, right? Like you've got people making the biggest decision they've ever made and they're relying on you to calm them down or get them hyped up enough to move forward or whatever that looks like. So it was a lot of... Um, emotional stuff, which for me as a math guy, just didn't, it didn't speak to my soul. You know, I kind of wanted something more dry, more repeatable um, than that. So I don't know if there was a long-term play, uh, just try to kind of follow where the market was going and where the dollars could go so I can make a bigger impact, not only for myself, my family, but, you know, businesses, communities, stuff like that. So That's awesome, man. And I think what you just said is huge. More and more, you know, I, I find myself repeating a lot of these cliche things 
Mm-hmm. And to, you know, we go and we say this stuff about the, just the data, the data makes sense. Like Mark Evans is the only thing he says. And I'm telling people more and more after talking to, you know, Scott Hannes and, and Lee and you and guys like you and Tim, that I don't even really consider myself a real estate guy anymore. I consider myself just a data guy. And I'm just looking at the data and the data, it's all there for you. It doesn't matter where it is or what it is. You know, it's, it's really the numbers there. And I think that that's a huge thing that I see a lot of people that struggle on that side because when you're a realtor, you it really is a people business. You're dealing really? with people yeah. and, and their stuff. And I think you just hit it on the head about learning about that. And, and I do enjoy that about real estate because I got my license for, I don't know, maybe six to nine months in New York City, like 14 years ago. And I was taking people out that were saying, you know what? I want the finest apartment in New York City for my little girl. She's coming to college there. And we're willing to pay $1,200 a month. And I'm like, what you want is $26,000 a month. Like, are you crazy? And then it's a matter of, well, you're just saying that. And you're like, everybody treats you like a used car salesman. And then I, I would wind up getting them a couple of places. And then after like four or five, six months of that, I was like, forget this. I could sit home, not talk to anybody, study data and put out offers and send that data to people that are looking to analyze the data and buy the properties. And I think it just works better for somebody whose brain and personality probably works like that. So I agree, man. Mark Evans says it all the time too. Like when you're dealing with beginners, there's a lot of guidance counseling going on in therapy sessions and it's not really about that. But when you deal with somebody who's doing a few deals a month already to take them from this to this is, it's just a different platform, man. So I think that that's huge. Yeah, it is. And it's not just like, like we talked about, uh, for me, especially with my skill set, it wasn't scalable. So, you know, as much as I probably could have made a nice, honest living, I just don't think I could have been impactful. You know, it just wasn't for me. And it was, um, but you know what I loved about it? And one, I always like to say, because I got a lot of friends, you know, obviously I still do that full time. You know, if you're good at it and you love it, like you can make a lot of money and you can be successful. One, I was not good at it. <laughs> do, I, do I didn't love it. So it was an easy decision, you know? So that, that was that was enough for me to kind of, you know, exit stage left. And when that happened, it was, um, you know, you're almost always kind of doing some business at that synergy. So we were just, we kind of just went to the spot that, was, you know, we were making the majority of our money off of. And like you said, what I felt, for my brain was repeatable, you know, something I could kind of, I wouldn't say take plays off, but I didn't have to be completely locked in. It was in my skill set, So it wasn't quite as hard for me, you know, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, it makes total sense. And, and studying things like KPIs and metrics and stuff, I, I didn't love about the, being a real estate agent that again, even if I was doing everything right, there's too many other factors on the other people's side that they're going to dictate my success where I, I like with investing, man, you, you get into out of it, what you put into it. You know how many offers you're putting in, you know how many calls you're going on and I love watching your stuff on Facebook, man, because you you work hard, but you play hard too, which which I think is equally as important. But I, I see you like taking red eyes and waking up early and going to check out properties here. And, you know, that's the kind of stuff that matters. And when people see yeah. your highlights and they go, look, you bought this property, you bought that property. It's like, yeah, but he worked his ass off. Look at his timeline. Look at his feed, man. He's always hustling. Yeah. Yeah, that was um, that was that was kind of the jumpstart. That that I, it was a couple months, one to three months, where I swear I was on a plane more than I was at home. <laughs> and, um, but yeah, you, you know, and it's again, it's kind of built a system, right? That was showing me what not to do, um, you know, when to do the stuff that you should do, if that makes sense. You know, we were flying to every property. We was uh, we were you know flying all the time, looking at every property, putting a ton under contract. <laughs> And um, all it did realistically was to show us a better process. You know, you're burning the candle at both ends and it's kind of a rite of passage to figure out what works and what doesn't work. And, I, you know, that allowed us to really quickly grab two, 300 units probably in the course of, I don't know, six months. That's awesome. 
Yeah, it's, it was great. And it, it taught me so much. You know, I'm doing a lot of joint venturing where other people are bringing me multifamily now. And I just speak on the, I've got a video, I think, in my private group that talks about I was losing not only time, family time, money, um, earnest money, but we were doing that in, in slightly the wrong way. But what it allowed us to do is not only jumpstart that two, 300 first apartment units that is a great base, but it also just taught us a way to teach other people, if you're going to scale this way, here's the process, here's what you got to do legally. Now you take the flights, now you do the due diligence, now you raise the money. Um, and like anything I did, it was just kind of flying by the seat of my pants, but I don't know any other way and I would do it again. And, uh, it was fun, you know, branded uh, in a couple of cities, there were tornadoes. It makes some cool stories. <laughs> <laughs> it was a lot of fun, you know, but, uh, I remember coming back and it was like three weeks after I got back from like really that whole 90 day stint and everyone was, you know, it was that you walk into a store or your mom's house or the office and everyone's like, are you sick? I'm like, no, I'm just about to fall over. You know, that just looked just drained. You know, it was either sick or tired. I was getting asked every time I was in a room. So, um, taught me a lot about what not to do. And probably a lot about if you're going to do that, cause there is a time and a place to be all over the place and do hard due diligence and travel, uh, to the buildings, especially if you're scaling, you know, there's systems you can put in place, you know, being one person doing all that is tough. And there might be a time and a place where you have to step up and do that. But very quickly, you're going to have to learn how to build a system just like anything else. So it was it was a cool little jump start, And, you know, it was nice to uh, to be able to do that. And then you learn how to to teach it as well. So that was cool. That's awesome. So so while we're on the multi-track, I definitely want to hear about the Airbnb stuff. But for the multi-unit stuff, talk a little bit about that because I know you um, you were in some deals with Tim. You partnered with some good people who were doing things the right way. But you know, again, I, I even see it's crazy. I, I'll see, I don't know, man, pe- people just do weird stuff and they're so negative and they always look at, they think that there's some secret formula. And I remember like one of my, my boxing coaches, Ray Longo, he was looking at a couple of my other buddies that came to one of my real estate events. And he was like, Hey man, like, what's the deal with these things? Like, what's really the secret? Like, do people do it? Do they not? Like, how are they? And I was like, man, the people that put the work and get the results. And he was like, the same thing with my gyms. He's like, these people walk in, they want to be UFC fighters. There's no substitution for hard work. There's no secret sauce. And, you know, I love when, uh, like, I'll see Tim post something and somebody will be like, oh, this guy's a clown and he's a scam artist. And then, like, a bunch of people will be like, no, actually, he's a legit investor. Maybe you should, you know, check out his event or call him. But, you know, I love that he'll be the first one to say, hey, I know I know how to do everything right now because I've done everything wrong. You know, and that's, I, I say it every episode I do a podcast on, but I'm always looking for black belts. And I don't think of black belts as people that can necessarily beat everybody up, but they're people that have tried every which way possible to do everything. They've done it wrong. They've taken every beating and they know the repercussions of that. And they go, no, no, no. Like I've already taken that punch. You do this. So, um, on that side of it, on the multi-unit side, talk about some of the stuff that you were doing wrong and some of the lessons you learned to correct them as far as processes when you're getting in and stuff you, you wasted time on or wasted money on or things that you're correcting now that, that make it a, a more, successful business, not only financially, but time-wise? Yeah, I think obviously the biggest one is uh, really partnering with people that have already done it, right? So that's what we preach now since we've been able to stabilize multi-hundreds of units. I think we're right between four and 500 with the multi-family and Airbnb mix um, currently in Red Door. And a lot of them are partnered. Uh, A lot of our original partners were people that have been doing this for years so not only did we, you know, we learned from what we were doing, but I think we, you know, we came in maybe step three, uh, where a lot of people are starting, you know, step zero. So being able to partner with Tim is, um, 
you know, kind of a blessing. He's actually I, right now on the other side of that wall. So just be able to see his whiteboards and, and all that. It's um, kind of like a mastermind every day. So uh, lucky to do that. Lucky to get a jump start. But there is a zero. I don't care how smart your partner, friend, whatever that looks like. There's zero amount of substitution for just owning something, having your own pockets be affected, having your own mind be affected, having your own systems be affected. You know, everything looks good on paper. Um, so we were able to jump in a couple steps ahead, but, and I, you know, uh, I help, you know, try to get a lot of people to Tim's events and, and mention them in a lot of videos, but what a, pe- a lot of people don't know, and he is very good at, um, telling it himself, but he, you know, he's had buildings burned down. He's had insurance go bad. He's had partners go bad. So, you know, as polished as Tim is today, uh, I think what was so cool about his path is that a lot of it is relatable. Uh, right off the rip, like everyone's had those insurance policies that didn't pan out or get bad advice on a legal doc or whatever that looks like. From from the commercial world, after diving in, it's a lot about what to expect. So you get all these multi-million, multi-hundred unit buildings. You want to call your mom. You want to call your business partner. You want to say, hey, you know, I just did this, multi-millions, because it sounds cool. The problem is with that is that it's not a house that you're going to fix up and sell and get paid on in 30, 40 days. It's a year and a half commitment to stabilize basically a mini community and uh, see some of the long-term benefits. So I think if I had to teach anything, it'd be, you know, obviously stay hardworking, stay humble, stay with your foot down. And if you want to go into that space, just realize that you're committing to basically not getting paid or getting paid very little for a year, year and a half to have, you know, multi-million dollar net worth down the road, um, multi-hundred units under your belt down the road. So although scalable, tons of tax benefits, um, just be aware that you're buckling up for a long time and uh, you want to have reserves and or another stream of income to offset the fact that a lot of your team is going to be spinning the, you know, five, 10 year vision plans instead of the day to day, which we were so used to at wholesaling. So it was a culture shock to me. I actually remember at a mastermind, people were like, you know, we, we do a lot of what's your biggest hurdle now. And I was by no means net worth broke, but I was like, what's my biggest hurdles? I'm just broke. You know, I went from cashing $20,000 wholesale checks to not getting paid for seven months, you know? <laughs> um, so that, you know, that was, the, that was more of a lifestyle and business shock than what I learned on the on the construction side and or acquiring side. But I think it's probably where people need to start because if you don't know that, then you're not going to set up your acquisitions, right? You're not going to set up your ma- or uh, construct project management, right? Because it's just, as we all know, you know, the, the cash flow is king, right? Because you got to keep the lights on. You got to keep the contractors paid, all that. So it's probably my biggest takeaway. And there's a lot more, but that's number one for sure. That's awesome. Yeah, no, and I, I, it sounds crazy to people, but I know Lee, Lee always says, you know, businesses go broke making money every single day. Oh, and don't 100%. I have a building, you know, it's, it, one, one of uh, this guy I was talking to recently, we know another fellow investor that's a, a multi-unit investor. And he was like, man, when we split our partnership, we had two buildings right next to each other. He goes, it was the same exact building, same exact building. Right. Everything was the same. He goes, mine to this day, is crushing it. It's making money. I have no issues. His foreclosed three years ago. It looks like shit. Yeah. You know, and it was like, it is a business, and you do have to run it right. And you know that old analogy of you know it's it's a pet. You can't just buy the building and be like it's going to pay for itself if you're not managing it correctly. If you're not on top of it, it's going to turn into a nightmare. And and I think what you said is huge because you do have to take that sacrifice. So I might go a year, year and a half without getting any checks. 
am I okay with that? And I think most people are not willing to risk that, but they don't see that after that 12 to 18 months, the check that they're going to get sure. could be four or five times the amount of what they would have worked sure. for for a year in a normal job. And it still pays you every month after you get that check, which I think is awesome. But, you know, again, to your point, the, the, a couple of the buildings that I initially invested in, I had a partner that was supposed to be my mentor. He already had the experience. He was taking me through the process. And all of a sudden I get the phone call of, Hey, by the way, you know, this building's still half, um, half vacant and the bills are all three months behind. We need 30 grand for the water. I ran out of money. See ya. And I was like, yeah. yep. hell? you know, so, but I, I had to take over those buildings and figure it out. And by needing to get in there and get dirty and dig in, because yep. I had no more help. I learned so much from those processes that I, I mean, I, it sucked. It was, it was a, a really painful lesson, but there are things I'll remember forever. And that's part of why I know like the next one and the next one and the next one. And, you know, so again, me and you were talking about when we first got on of some of the, the, the beatings you take are more valuable than some of the, the victories you have. And, and to me, that was a major life lesson. So, you know, again, to your point, just partnering with somebody doesn't really help you get that knowledge. You have to be in there. You have to learn it. You have to be engaging in it. Right. And uh, yeah, that's a great point. And it's cool actually to be in different spots as, as the mentor. I know, um, you know, and his is always changing even more so, you know, more fast than mine. But, you know, Tim talks about, uh, you know, being over 3000 units and whatnot now. So he has different responsibilities than me. Right. And should obviously he cannot go to all 300 units. I can't you have to build or I'm sorry, 3000. I can't go to all 400 units. You have to build systems in place. But there's times and places that I think one of my other struggles that I learned not only through him and his team is that, you know, realistically, I have a finance background. Um, you know, I have flipping background, all the stuff that we talked about, but I didn't have a background in large construction management. So there was this piece of me that was like, you know, I can go check on this project here and there, but I'm paying a GC. I'm doing this. And it was like, I really wanted to be hands off because I see myself, like you said, obviously as a data guy, maybe as like a business scaler not now, not a real estate guy. But there's some days, especially when you're in new projects and or new industry, you just got to be that guy that day. You know, there is no substitute. I have a guy that's driving to Worcester, Ohio to check um, Tom. I don't know if you've ever met Tom, but he's driving to Worcester, Ohio to check 24 units today. Then Ravenna for 70 units. I might be stopping by one of our uh, Airbnbs that's down there. And that's great that you can scale that out because there's only so many hours in the day. But I'll tell you what, when you're new and you're learning and or maybe it's a big project or a high risk project, there's got to be times that it's all hands on deck and like people are in the building, checking out bad tenants, checking out bad plumbing, even if you don't necessarily know how to fix it firsthand, you know, emerging yourself in that will take you so much further than scaling out right away. And uh, there's a time and a place to completely step away and really, really structure it. But until you go in there and learn the hard lessons, as far as walking through with contractors and going unit to unit, and you know, some of the gross stuff, you know, you see the bug, uh, bed bugs, you see, um, you know, some backed up plumbing, whatever that looks like. It's, it's, it's very invaluable to go from, you know, the couple hundred units to the thousands. Um, I don't expect him to be a project, you know, projects, but he has a much larger team than me and he's probably seen all of it, right. Or seen most of it. And the stuff he hasn't seen, he can probably get, you know, either Skyped in, FaceTimed in, whatever it might be by a contractor and make a quick judgment call. But I think just right off the rip, not only do you, 
you learn more, but it's uh, kind of your responsibility to investors, right? Like to really emerge yourself into your, you know, into your projects early. That way um, you can learn as much as possible because you can make money not knowing what you're doing. I've done that a lot. And, uh, but it's not as repeatable. So you want to have a strong foundation. I think like you said, the, the problems and those first five projects, they give you that foundation where hopefully, you know, you'll be locked in moving forward. So. Yeah, you, you'll you'll know quick if this is a business for you or not. <laughs> the first couple of ones, man. You know, yeah. even uh, my my buddy uh, Manimal, he's a UFC fighter, a Bellator fighter, but he was saying, you know, you you learn no matter what. He's like everybody when they lose a fight, they might have won 10, 15 fights, they're undefeated, and then they lose, and now they look at that. He's like, but they might not have lost that fight if they looked at the things they did wrong during their wins, but you go, I won, I have nothing to fix. So I think a lot of that stuff's cool, but I think a huge difference between, which is probably why people go into multifamily, but also why people are scared of multifamily is that the stakes are a lot higher. You might not necessarily lose your life savings on a single family home, but you, you jump into a hundred, 200, 300 units and you make some mistakes. Those mistakes are, exponentially bigger. You know, you're cutting 30, 40, 50,000 dollar checks a week sometimes that most people don't have. So I think the the value for finding somebody like you who's already been through that and you've already attached yourself to somebody else and you've already had these experiences, it's just a safer play in multifamily to find a Stephen Morris to say like, hey, can I latch on to you? Can I look over your shoulder? Can I can I be part of this deal? So I know you have a lot of uh, you're doing a lot of joint venture stuff. You're very active on social media. Talk a little bit about how you structure your partnerships, how you have deals coming in and, and how you're doing that. I, I think from what I've seen, a lot of your stuff is Facebook based, but you know, talk through that. How does somebody find you on Facebook? What happens from there? Yeah. So if you just start from the complete beginning, if you're searching, it's Stephen Todd Morris. Um, I don't know how my middle name got in there, but by the time that <laughs> I kind of realized people were calling me that, I was like, let's be bad to change now, right? It's almost a little bit of a brand. Um, it's actually cool too. I'll be at like Indians games or Cavs games. And like, I don't, sometimes I don't know them, right. You don't always know who, you know, watches your stuff and people will come up and they'll be like, Oh man, Stephen Todd. And I'm like, and at least then I know like where we're about to go. You know, if it's like, I don't know this person, if they call me Steve, it's like, did I go to school with them 15 years ago? Or are they on Facebook? So if someone's like Stephen Todd, I'm like, Oh, we're about to go into some real estate stuff, <laughs> um, which is cool. It's kind of a buffer that you just put you in the mindset, but so you search that and uh, we do a lot of free content. Obviously this is one of my first podcasts. I, I think I've jumped on, um, you know, multiple people on Facebook uh, live and done some similar stuff, but first podcast. So the substitute for that, even though I want to get more in the podcast and maybe even do my own eventually is we do all the free Facebook live and uh, grab people that we JV with or partners and try to give away a lot of content. So that's on a couple the, the public page as far as me and then Red Doors page and then there's Bulletproof Sales. Those are all three free pages that we just post our own stuff to and try to give away a lot of content um, as far as models and or walkthroughs, whatever that looks like for our current projects. And then we have one, uh, it's kind of a 24-7 um, investor community on Facebook called the Bulletproof Cartel. It's kind of like the, the paid level of the free consulting page. and. Uh, it's relatively inexpensive. It's like 139 bucks a month. Ends up being $1,700 a year. But we put a lot of off-market deals in there, a lot of lender connections, tons, tons of more videos. Or you know, we do a lot of free videos where it's like we give a quick overview, and then in the private group, you know, where we know a lot of people are dialed in and want to hear it, we'll go deeper in the numbers and stuff. Where 
you know, maybe that puts some people to sleep on Facebook if they're just looking <laughs> for a two, three minute video. So those are the ways we kind of structure it out. We have some consulting masterminds like everyone else does where you go different places around the country and do some cool stuff as well. That's quarterly. Um, I always tell people, you know, some people will ask me about the group and, and whatnot. I think we used to have a, a free trial and if people are interested, we'll let them in and check out the paid group for free. I don't try to, you know, sell myself or get rich on the coaching. Um, it's exactly that. I know a lot of people, some of this coach, I actually got an email today uh, from an Airbnb guy. And it was funny. I really do. I kind of know of him. I don't know him. And I was thinking like, I own more Airbnbs than this guy. And he's sending me an email for $7,500 a year for him to coach me. <laughs> I'm thinking, man, should I raise my price or what, you know, what am I missing on this? But I don't do it. I don't do it for the monthly fees or to gouge anyone, um, which there's plenty of good coaches out there that charge 10, 100 grand a year for coaching. I think they exist. And if that's where you want to go, it's cool. Um, I didn't want to go that way. I wanted to continue to do deals and make some money from coaching. And some people want to make a lot of money from coaching and do like the best deals, cherry pick from the network and whatnot. So that's our model. We just give away a lot of free content. I always tell people, start with the free stuff. If it makes sense. Send me a message and maybe jump in the, the trial of the paid stuff. Um, and it's canceling time. I think our value in that group speaks for itself. So we don't ever hard sell it. And again, the idea is not get a bunch of fees from people uh, monthly, but it's more, we're trying to put, you know, off market deals in there. We're trying to show the model and then they bring us a lot of opportunities. So we get paid off the opportunity, not the fees, which I think is the way to do it. Right. Because then you're getting paid off the opportunity. It means the other 50, 50 partner or whatever that split looks like, they're also getting paid off the opportunity, which offsets a lot of the coaching costs. So, um, that's just how we run it. I, I think Facebook is a great platform. I'm pretty good on social media. So we do some Instagram and, uh, probably get into TikTok. Uh, I've been watching a lot of Gary Vee and he keeps harping on that. And I know it's a, a younger, um, kind of generation on that, but I think the more you put out, the more free stuff you put out, you'd be so surprised how much you can offset lead gen just by being, you know, helpful and personable and stuff like that. So. Yeah, I love that, man. So, so you mentioned something about the refi proceeds. So for people who aren't very familiar with with multifamily. It's it's almost a a version on steroids of the old Burr method with single family, where maybe the house is worth a hundred thousand. You're all into it for fifty. You pull the cash out, refi at seventy. You still have the the cash. You still have the cash flow, but you're mm -hmm. pulling out some money that's considered tax free to reinvest with. So it's like you get to flip the property, kind of, but you still get to keep the property and do it all over again. So. It's just bigger numbers, bigger scale. So talk through the, the one you were just talking about. Give a little bit of a, an overview of, of what type of deal that it is and what type of returns, hypothetically, if all goes as planned, you're looking at for cash flow, for refi proceeds, and then how that starts to come in. Yeah. And actually, Tim does a really good job of explaining that kind of stuff. It's like, he's obviously, that's 48 units was my first one ever. And the refi proceeds and the cash flow would be nice. Obviously, there's some people out there doing 500 unit deals. And he has a really cool way of saying like, you know, how many times do you have to do one of these deals to change your life? And I think that's kind of what keeps me going is like, you're always that, you know, one deal away from like, you know, multi-million in cash flow a year or your partner splitting up a ton of money on a refi. So it's exciting. I remember thinking that was cool when I got in the commercial because like, I felt as though I was a good wholesaler, but anytime you get real comfortable with something, sometimes it loses its like luster, right? So I, I wasn't getting up and trying to like go get it. $12,000 wholesale fee. I would just kind of sit around and what came in, came in. So it gave me kind of new life to go chase these bigger numbers. Like you said, it's the same method. You're just moving zeros. So more zeros, more, you know, payouts for people in your partnership. It's cool actually, because the Burr method works in Airbnb. 
So all the same cabinets, granite, remnants, flooring, all that stuff in Airbnb, we're actually using the same stuff for apartments. That works in our market, maybe not nationwide, but so realistically now we, we have one method. It just depends on how big the outside of the house is, right? Is it five bedrooms and 2,000 square feet or is it 70 units and 20,000 square feet? Um, but the same stuff going into them and the same sort of, uh, like you said, add value and then refi. So uh, as far as the one that I did first, it's funny because you just mentioned you, maybe you don't know what a deal is or maybe your acquaintance or your bird dog or whatever that looks like. They don't even know what a deal is, um, but you're having the conversation, right? And you're <laughs> hoping something comes from it. And we sent a MailChimp blast. I think at the time we had like 3,000 people on our list. Now we're in the multi 10,000s for people we hit with, you know, MailChimp uh, blast. But one of the 3,000 people that I'd never met mentioned, you know, I basically asked for the first time ever. It's, it's funny. Um, I was walking through the hallway and Tim's buying all these apartment buildings and I'm walking by his uh, employee at the time was like 23 years old. And he was the only one in their like establishment that was looking for apartment buildings. And I was getting frustrated because I knew I wanted one. I just didn't really get it. And, uh, you know, I had that pride in me. I was, I think at the time I was like 27. I'm like, all right, I've been doing this longer than him. You know, I own the stuff. He's kind of working for someone else and he's a great guy, Nick Burton. But I was like, if he can do it, I can do it. Right. That's just kind of my mindset with anyone. It doesn't matter if it's Nick Burton or the Rockefellers. I'm like, if, I, if someone else did this, it's physically possible. So let's figure it out. I'm walking by him in the hallway and I'm like, listen, man, how are you getting all these apartment buildings? He's like, mm, well, how many, you know, are, are you frustrated because you're getting zero? And I'm like, of course, right? And he's like, well, how many people are you asking? And I remember thinking, like, at the time, I was a single-family wholesale guy, and I wanted to go to apartment buildings, but, you know, I just didn't ask anyone. I wasn't telling the universe that no one was responding because it wasn't out there. No one was talking about it. There was no email blast. There was no Facebook post. So I was like, all right, this can't be the answer. He's oversimplifying it. That's not how they got thousands of units. So I <laughs> go to MailChimp, send out, you know, I was like, let's prove him wrong. Send out an email blast. Hey, I'll buy, you know, any apartment building over 40 units. And uh, a lady I never really talked to said, hey, I, you know, I do single family. I don't know how to structure this deal. I don't even know if it is a deal. Let's start there. She sent me it and uh, ran through it with Nick. Uh, got Tim on board, obviously, to do a lot of the financing and, and, and deal structuring. And uh, long story short, we're about to refi that one out now. And, you know, depending on the appraisal and everything like that, like I said, I'm thinking refi is about three quarters of a million split up to a bunch of partners and it's 48 units. So the, so the cash flow should be just shy of a hundred grand a year. Nice. So obviously, you know, being able to rip anywhere, anywhere close to half a million to a million bucks out, uh, depending on where that lands. And then everyone's kind of just getting some mailbox money for now until 10, 20 years from now, it's a cool process. And I didn't know what I was doing, but I think it was, you, you hit a, an awesome nail on the head as far as it's all about having the conversations, you know, and thinking that a, at the time, cause the list was smaller too, you know, that was probably a $25 service that got not only me, but me and my partner is a multi-million dollar deal as far as refi and cash flow over years um, of something that's basically free, you know? So you just really got to, like you said, you come out of these mastermind, everyone wants the secret sauce. Are people doing this? Are they not? It's like, I was ready for that email blast to come back completely empty handed and then try again. And so just so happened that it had one of my better deals right off the rip, a little beginner's luck, but sometimes that's a, it's a great place to start, you know, get a little lucky and then it can cover up some of the mistakes, which I, I definitely made on that building. There was enough cushion to, to help us out. So that's, that's the story. It's kind of crazy. Actually the bird dog, she had never done a commercial building. Barely had had her uh, 
license in real estate. And, uh, you know, I'm, my eyes were like this big. I'm thinking, all right, this is the day I'm about to lock this in. So I'm emailing her back every time she emails me in like 0.05 seconds. And she would just go dark for like a day and a half. And I'd be like, you know, what is wrong with this lady? Like, I need this deal tomorrow. This is the one I've been waiting for. So finally, I'm like, hey, you know, respond to her original question or statement in the email. But I was like, hey, you know, no offense. Why is it taking you so far? You know, I'd love to get you paid, lock this up sort of a thing. And uh, she said, uh, she lived in Lorain, Ohio. And she said, hey, you know, right now, for whatever reason, I don't have a personal cell phone. So I just walk to the library. I send you an email and then I walk home. And I'm wow. thinking, for a lot of reasons, I'm thinking for my partners, for me, for her, you know, because she had a multi $10,000 commission ride, in, right? And this is someone that doesn't have a cell phone. I'm thinking, man, I'd love to make this work for everyone. You got a lady that's going above and beyond. A lot of people won't walk to a library and, and send an email. So she'd go dark for a day and she'd sleep and she'd go back to the library in the morning. She'd rip me off one email and go dark for a day. And I'm like, going nuts, right? So I said, like, the next time I said, I sent her an email like nine at night. I go, because I could tell she'd go to the library in the morning. So the next time you're at the library, send me an email the second you get there of the address of whatever library you're at. So she did. So stay where you're at. And I took whatever, 100, 200 bucks to Walmart, preloaded a cell phone, gave it to her so we could try to, you know, basically constantly communicate and get this deal over the line. And uh, it ended up working out. We closed on it. And she was, uh, the, end of, the ending commission was like 14 grand. So I got to take the 14 grand check to this lady's house. At the time, didn't have a cell phone to run a business and give her that. She started crying. She said she was going to get a phone and couldn't wait to do more deals and all this. So it was, um, you know, we got a bunch of money on the back end. But it was, I, I got to believe, you know, life changing. She still replies to emails and sometimes on the phone with leads. And, you know, uh, that 14 grand has got to be life changing. I'm sure at that point. So it was really cool to see. Um, but it's just a crazy story for your first one. You know, I think that's, uh, that's how you draw it up though, right? If it's easy on your first one, uh, you don't learn a lot. So it was dropping off phones, dropping off tech, uh, um, checks. And it was cool. Obviously it was a big moment in her life. So, um, that's a big commission for anyone, you know, yeah. 14 grand. So it was really cool to watch and cool to just kind of push the, the first one over the line. That's awesome, man. I love that kind of stuff. And, you know, I, I don't necessarily think it's beginner's luck either, man. You hear person after person that we meet and they go, it was intention. All of a sudden I went, I'm not doing any single family anymore. All I want is 50 unit buildings. And then I check my email and I have a fit like people are like, ah, oh, that's that hippie bullshit. Like, well, no, you know, I, there's, it works for enough people. You know, you hear the same stuff all the time, you know. Look at all these, you know, I play these videos at some of my events of Oprah and Jim Carrey and some of my UFC buddies. And every one of them is like, yeah, I wrote this thing down. I put this intention out. And the people that cross their arms and go, ah, it doesn't work. Those are the people who sit there forever in the same spot going, you know, they don't, right. they don't, they don't want to put that time in. Um, so I also, I definitely want to hear you talk a little bit about your Airbnb model. Cause I don't know a lot of people that are intentionally doing that. I know people that have rentals and the rentals, maybe weren't doing great. And so they turned it into an Airbnb because the cash flow was better. And I also know a couple of people that are doing well with Airbnb, but every day that person's leaving, they have to go there, clean the apartment, change the sheets, put everything back in there, drop off a key, be back there the next morning. And, you know, and, and that's a freaking grind, man. So what's your, what's your Airbnb business model? Like I, I'm, I really don't know a lot about it. Yeah. So right now, uh, with that private group, I think we have 50, 60 people that obviously kind of pay a little fee and we do a lot of consulting for them. But I, you know, a lot of them just, you know, from, so I'm a little younger, so they're a little younger. They're still trying to find this way, right? They maybe got a nine to five and um, they're trying some models kind of where I was at, 
where we started this whole, you know, podcast interview is like, how'd you get here? And it's like, I was just young trying stuff. Right. So there's, I got a lot of pride in trying to help those guys get away from that faster because it took me years. Right. And it was just misguided and, you know, trial and error, which is powerful. But if you can shorten that for someone else, it's cool. So right now I'm kind of beating those guys over the head with like Airbnb. If I was you right now at 24, 25, 26, that's all I'd be doing. Um, I believe the market's high. So I believe that one, you can take a lot of ways out of Airbnb that is less risky than maybe building, you know, new construction building or even multifamily stuff that I'm involved in that this is, this is safe, not only safer, but the returns are so high that these either young kids or even, you know, whoever, a 65 year old that's got a nine to five that wants to break away and make maybe a better lifestyle. This Airbnb stuff, you could, if you get it right, if you get this model right, you can you can get out of whatever nine to five or whatever second job, you know, in months. We've had people go from five to a hundred units in uh, nine months and they're not all stabilized, but these Airbnbs, a lot of them are, um, where if you left them for, long-term rentals, they would cash flow 300 bucks a door, you know, which is maybe industry average and great. Um, obviously I've made some good money doing that. And a lot of people have the same building, same finishes, put the model on top of Airbnb, that same $300 net, uh, it'll go to 25, $3,000 monthly net. So we're talking sometimes 10 X net, um, and you know, four or five times gross net. So that for me to ignore it right now is just crazy um, because we're seeing a lot of people change their lives in 90 to 120 days. Because if you've got a good crew, you can turn these three, four bedroom houses um, and get them up and running and Airbnb or Airbnb will pay you four days later after the first guy leaves. So it's counteracting the fact that I'm playing super long with apartments. Now I'm getting constant four, four day wires or ACHs into an account. So great little yin yang. And as far as model, it's really not that much different. We're doing the rental ready finishes in multifamily and um, the and the Airbnb. So our contractors, they could leave a 70 unit building and go to a three bedroom Airbnb, same granite, same uh, cabinets, same flooring, and they're just knocking them out. Um, I can also give you some links and pictures if you want to post them with the podcast of what these Airbnbs maybe look like when they're finished for investors that want to go down that route. But the, the process is similar. You know, you want to buy low, like any investment. So we're buying some of these houses and I'll do, again, I'll just, it's, we did our, my first multifamily ever. I'll do my first Airbnb ever. So we bought a house, same thing, where we wanted to wholesale it. Bought it for 35000 in Cleveland and wanted to wholesale it, maybe make 15, 20 grand and get out of the way. And our buyers wanted us to make, you know, five, seven. And there was this disconnect of what we thought it was worth and what they thought it was worth. And, uh, you know, for that time, we were kind of bleeding money, just holding on to some debt inventory. And I thought, why not try something else? You know, and like worst case, we could always refi it and then turn it into a long-term rental and uh, turn it into a turnkey sell, anything like that. We had a lot, a lot of like low risk on other exit strategies, but maybe high risk of finding a new industry and high returns, which is what happened. So we bought this house for 35 grand and we did about 30 grand in uh, renovations. And then the, it was a big house, it's five bedrooms. And to get the whole thing furnished was about another 7,000. So we're all in this house for whatever that is, like 72, 75 grand. Um, and we ended up getting appraised. It wasn't crazy. It was like 130, you know, so we got all our money out, a little, a little coin on top. And, uh, 
the big thing was is the passive returns. So as soon as you get that up and running, the furniture set up, you know, you're able to basically put these things up maybe even a week or two before they're done, posting your old Airbnb photos saying, this is the same product we put out. It's going to be the same cabinets, all this. So the day the furniture is ready, you might have people coming in a day or two later to pay you 150 bucks a night to hang out in this five bedroom house where that five bedroom house in, in our market, now every market's going to be different, might only rent for 11, 12, 1300 bucks a month. So we started to mess around with that house and some of our first months, um, we're pretty hands-off and profitable because there was no deferred maintenance. We just got done. And I kind of fell in love with it. Now we got a little more deferred maintenance. And we're running around a little bit to these um, single-family houses. But I always tell people, like, multifamily, everything's in one spot. So it's headache-free, but it's 150 bucks a door cash flow. You know, if I'm going to run around or have my crews run around and it's headache, you know, headaches to go logistically and now there's deferred maintenance at this house. Now we got to go there. I'm okay with that if the returns are $3,000 a door. I'm not okay with that if the returns is two fifty a door because now you know your risk rewards all been out of shape. So um, we were able to refi. What's cool about that too is that you roll the debt of furniture back into a thirty year amortized loan. So you got like a depreciating asset rolled into a you know depreciating asset. So you're able to write all this stuff off, and uh, the refi paid that off. Now, Airbnb guests come in, they stay, leave a good review. You get a little ACH of their you know, fees at the end of it. And they're hitting your, it helps. Like you said, a lot of people go broke making a ton of money. And if you're getting a drop every four days from every property, um, it's very powerful to offset cash flow of wholesalers, multifamily, flippers, builders, all that stuff where there is synergy and maybe you should keep doing it. But this is a good way to get that cash flow. So we jumped in there and we're getting that cash flow. And first couple months, again, I don't know, maybe netting off one house that we were all in for 75,000, we were netting 2,500, 3,000, you know? So it was, it was eye-opening and it was just like anything else, you know, I don't overcomplicate something. If that would have lost money, I probably would have stopped doing it and made a bunch of money. So we just scaled it. So the process for scaling as far as, and I can, I can go look them up because I'm not in the day-to-day as much as some of my partners and or um, team, but we have a company that, basically treats our Airbnb inventory like airline tickets. You know, when you go on, you know, Google flights or whatever price line and they, they're showing you what the ticket might usually cost. Now it's higher, low, whatever that looks like, or why the company is pushing it higher, low, maybe lower inventory, all that. There's a company that will do that for 1% of your Airbnb um, gross. They will monitor your price against the inventory, against your competitors, against your calendar and they'll adjust your price. So now you don't really have to do that. They think it, you know, these are their numbers. They'll monitor that so you don't have to go in there every day and change, you know, okay, for us, it's the Cleveland Browns, right? So the Cleveland Browns are in town, let's raise the rate. Like they just monitor the market. Rates are higher that day. They're going to raise yours um, to match it. And they take 1%. So that's cool. That's a cool little service. I can text my guys that run it and uh, tell you what website to Google for that, as well as... Um, you know, there's property managers out there that specialize in Airbnb at, at a 10%, you know, rate. So the exact same model of handing it off to someone for 10%, you can do that at Airbnb. They get paid more, so they take a little better care of your stuff because, you know, 10% of a $1,000 rent, you're only getting 100 bucks. 10% of four grand, they're getting $400. They're going to work harder for you. So yeah. it's a little more hands-off. The, the, you know, like Tim always says, watermelon grape. If everyone's got more incentive, everyone gives better service. So that's the model. I mean, really, realistically, it's just straight up buy cheap, you know, burr it out, 
And then we have two or three little websites where they're monitoring um, the rate, they're monitoring the month to month, um, basically P&Ls and stuff like that, shooting our uh, operating agreement out the percentages owed to whoever's partner. And um, we'll see basically nothing. You know, we'll see maybe really bad reviews or really good reviews where they're saying, okay, this is, it's just like a tenant, right? Like my toilet's leaking. Um, we had a ceiling fall in on an Airbnb, got a couple of bad reviews. So they'll send you that. They'll make sure you're aware because you're not in the day to day. And then you get a, you know, maybe your contractor goes out, maybe there goes out. You just come to an agreement there. It's the same as managing the model doesn't change at all. Um, I think the returns are a little more aggressive, obviously. I also believe that maybe you draw different time kind of tenant. That's something that maybe should be talked about. These people are coming in for weddings, bachelor parties, football games, baseball games. They hang out with buddies they haven't seen in a long time. So maybe you get a little more party scene in there. So you get whatever. Maybe your carpet needs replaced more often. There's beer, you know, spills, all that kind of stuff. But overall, we haven't seen a huge change in the change in the model. It's, you know, buy cheap, fix it up, refi. And then try to hand off as much as you can. And Airbnb's got a couple different um, websites that maybe you wouldn't use in long-term rentals because you're not changing your price. But it really is only one or two different avenues that long-term doesn't have. Fluctuating prices and, um, like you said, cleaners. So when you dial in those two things, we have a local cleaner. We can also use the website to have their cleaning staff do it. It's more expensive. So as we get bigger, we'll probably just go to that and just eat the bullet. Um, but right now we've got like one or two avenues we didn't have. And those one or two avenues that are mild headaches are netting us 10 X net. And we're really happy with putting up with those headaches right now, just because the cash flow is so, so, so great, you know? That's awesome, man. How are you looking at it for, I mean, I know you know your market, but do you just go on Airbnb and see what type of demand is there? Because I'm sure there's some areas of the country where Airbnb is just not that, so, you know, supply the old supply and demand. Sure. So, um, you know, I spent some time in Florida in the winter and the Airbnb market, I think is better in Ohio. You know, God knows why, you know, it's Ohio, but um, we take a lot of pride in Cleveland here, but we've got a bad, you know, at least previously, you know, pre LeBron and all the stuff, we had some bad rep, but from what I see, Cleveland's one of the best, Akron's one of the best nationwide Airbnb markets. And I just read something the other day that <clears throat> people coming to Cleveland and staying overnight as a tourist is up 7% last year. So not sure 100% why. I mean, I love this city and I'm glad to see people come and love it as well. But um, obviously not every city is probably trending in that direction. So I try, again, not to overcomplicate stuff. We don't have some crazy, like, you know, equation or whatever, whatever. Um, you know, either we send out marketing, email blast, whatever that looks like, or someone brings us an address, take the address, copy and paste it into Google, pulls up my city or my markets that I'm familiar with. Right away, I know good area, bad area, whatever take the address and put it in the Airbnb and it'll pull up the same map, but with the Airbnb competition around it. So you can see what houses that are similar. It's just like a comp for a sale or a rental. You see what your competition is getting around you. Okay. Is that going to be nicer, you know, shittier than our product? And then we just try to figure out maybe what we would get on an average per night. Um, for us, every market might be different, but we've seen the average like 22, 23 bookings per 30 days. So now if we know by looking at the Airbnb map and our competition that our house once finished is going to get 125 a night, you know, we do a quick 125 times 22. All right. That's our projected um, gross. And maybe we know our, you know, projected, you know, all in nut per month. And we're now just trying to figure out if the numbers work, you know? So 
don't overcomplicate it. We're just literally taking a Google map and putting a Airbnb on top of it and making sure that those two line up where we're buying and where the market is. And uh, if they don't, then maybe we grab it and wholesale it to someone that does long-term flips or whatever, whatever. So we just start there because it's the most profitable at this time. And if it doesn't fit that, you know, you, you don't always get to pick your lead. So if it doesn't fit that model, we still try to, we have sunk time into it, sunk cost into it. And uh, we'll just try to hand it off to someone that can make money, you know, bring value in a different arena. So that's awesome, man. That's good stuff. Well, I appreciate it, man. And I agree 100% with what you said that I think a lot of people don't realize what an awesome city Cleveland actually is. I've had a blast. I've been there a lot over the last year, year and a half. I'm starting to have like my favorite restaurants, you know, we're going yeah. to the all-star game and we toured the Brown stadium, went to the rock and roll hall of fame. Like it's a great city, man. So I think it's going to keep uh, emerging. I think the word's going to start to get out there. And I think it's awesome that you guys got in when it was still a little bit of a hidden gem and all those values are going to go up. Anything in uh, final closing, man? I thought that was awesome. I appreciate all the info. If you want to run through one more time, uh, if people want to learn about how to do Airbnb with you, how to do multi-unit with you. I know you do some uh, monthly mixers and masterminds and stuff like that too. Yeah. So if they're local, um, the there's a free happy hour. It's all free food, all free um, um, booze and a bunch of you know, 40, 50 local guys in Cleveland that usually get together and we just hit a bar. Um, you'll see those on Facebook and uh, you can tap into them. You just register. You don't need to know anyone or anything like that. Um, come meet people and we pick up the tab. We have quarterly events where, you know, they have a cost to offset whatever it might be a cab suite or a boat or whatever we're doing after the event. And uh, if they want to tap into that after they come to the free stuff and think we're value, that's cool. All that stuff will be pretty much found on Facebook. I already went into the Facebook stuff on Instagram. It's S Morris 802 is my personal. And then I think it's, you know, if you, literally type in red door renovations. You'll get to some of the other stuff, but cool. I don't want to go over the information because, you know, I think it was cool. It was pretty clear and, you know, you did a great job of leading the information and obviously this is your arena. So I think we covered, but um, speaking about you being in Cleveland a lot, obviously next time you're up here, I'd love to grab food and a beer, but um, my cousin actually, uh, he's got a jujitsu gym up here. So if you ever oh, get out of here, dude, uh, it's like, uh, so I live, well, my office is in Lakewood and his uh, gym is in West park. So if you ever need a, uh, jiu-jitsu gym he's uh he's you know huge into it goes to chicago and brazil and competes so if you ever need a drop in man i'd love to go you you know you you have to laugh laugh with me when i'm there but you you probably love it but i go once in a while and it's a great sweat and all that so i was thinking that when i was looking at the shirt the whole time if you want to next time you're up here if you want to jump in there 100 you know? man yeah the, the last couple of times i went in there i trained the strong style at sleepy amyotis gym but um dude i'd love to check that out for sure and if he's coming to chicago let me know because I'm, I'm in new york and i'm in chicago so yeah. i have a couple of gyms out here too man would that be awesome yeah yeah next time you're in the town let me know i'll go you can i'll make a fool out of myself and yeah i'm sure <laughs> so i appreciate you having me on man Definitely, man. Anytime. And I'd love to have you want to go deeper into some of that stuff too, man. Let me know anything I could do to help you. I'll post all the stuff in the show notes so people can find you, man. I appreciate the time. Stephen Morris, thank you very much, man. 